You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. And those who are joining us online, you're all very, very welcome here to Trinity College Dublin. It's a very wet Monday evening, so I can't tell you how glad I am to see such a fantastic uh, audience. Um, it's an honour for me to introduce our distinguished speaker uh, tonight, uh, Helen uh, Wallasek from the University of Exeter, for the second instalment of this year's Out of the Ashes, uh, which is a series on cultural loss and destruction. Uh, and uh, really the brainchild behind this series is, of course, my colleague Peter Crooks uh, uh, in history. Uh, we're joined um, this evening by Balaj Apoor, whom I'll introduce in a moment, uh, from our Department of Russian and Slavonic Studies. And he's going to respond to uh, Helen's uh, lecture. And then, as usual, we'll open it to the floor. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Jane Olmeyer. I'm the director of the Trinity Long Room Hub, which is our research institute in the arts and humanities. Um, and in that institute, we basically do three things. We promote the excellence of the arts and humanities at Trinity. We bring the arts, humanities, and other sciences together. We promote multidisciplinarity, interdisciplinarity, and transdisciplinarity. And if you're interested in the differences of that, just think <laughs> collaboration uh, 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 around disciplines. It's all about breaking down the barriers. Um, the third thing we do in the hub is public humanities, and obviously this lecture series is very, a very important part um, of our signature uh, public events, where we want to bring uh, these very important debates uh, uh, from the world of academe uh, to widest uh, possible audiences, and that's why we're live streaming and, and, and podcasting. I want to say a few words, though, about the series, because the Out of the Ashes is a three-year-long, um, a multi-annual series exploring cultural loss and recovery. It's inspired by Trinity's Beyond 2022 project, which is to recreate virtually the Public Record Office of Ireland, which was, of course, destroyed in 1922. Um, uh, Peter Crooks is the vision behind it, uh, uh, as was the late Shay Lawless, who we sadly uh, lost on Mount Everest um, uh, back in June. But uh, Peter is just doing such an amazing job with it. And over the course of three years, we brought colleagues together to explore themes of collecting, destroying, and recovering from cultural loss, setting the Irish experience in a broad geographic and chronological uh, uh, context. Um, I'd like to thank our donors, uh, Sarah and Sean Reynolds, who've endowed this series and made it possible. Made it possible. So the theme running throughout this, the second year, is cultural loss and destroying. And in this, we examine how uh, cultural atrocity, which is now subject to international war crimes prosecution, is the deliberate targeting of cultural heritage as a means to control social memory and to erase identities. And we've already had a, a number of powerful lectures uh, 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 on this topic. And tonight, in her talk entitled Bosnia and the Targeting of History and Memory, Helen will discuss the destruction and the attacks on culture during the 1992 to 1995 Bosnian War, which took place almost 25 years ago, but I think some of us are old enough to actually remember it very, very vividly. 
And I had the opportunity back in July of leading a summer school uh, and we visited uh, Mostar, uh, Sarajevo and Srebrenica. And of course, we had an opportunity to visit the National and University Library of Bosnia-Herzegovina, which uh, where two million books were basically burned by the Serbs uh, in uh, uh, August 1992. And I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot about that this evening. It's an extraordinary uh, 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 place. Um, a few words of introduction of Helen. Uh, Helen Wallacek is an honorary associate research fellow at the University of Exeter and author of Bosnia and the Destruction of Cultural Heritage, which was published in 2015. She's an associate of the Bosnian Institute in London and deputy director of the Bosnia-Herzegovina Heritage at Rescue um, uh, organization uh, for which she worked uh, in the 1990s. She has spent a lot of her career working in Bosnia during and after uh, uh, the uh, uh, mid-90s or early and mid-90s and was an expert for the Council of Europe uh, reporting on museums um, uh, in 1995 and 96 as well as an advisor to the Swedish NGO Cultural Heritage Without Borders. In other words, what she's bringing to the conversation tonight is huge uh, uh, insight and very practical understanding, as well as tremendous scholarly uh, uh, breadth. Um, I'll introduce Balaj uh, in a moment, but if I could just simply remind everybody that we are podcasting, uh, it'll be available on the Hub's website, uh, uh, ideally tomorrow or certainly in the next day or two. Um, we'll also be on Twitter, and for those who'd like to join the conversation on Twitter, uh, please tag us at uh, uh, TLR hub and the hashtag hub matters. I, I'm a novice to Twitter, so I am tweeting. I promise you, I'm not checking emails. It just takes me forever. Anyway, uh, we also then look forward to hearing from you, our audience, at the end. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, if you could join uh, me in welcoming uh, Helen uh, uh, to uh, address us. Please, Helen. <laughs> Now, can you hear me with this? Yeah, can you hear me? So, uh, as, as Jane said, it's coming up to 25 years since the end of the Bosnian War, 1992-95. And it was a brutal conflict which still continues to reverberate in the public imagination. And memories, of course, of that war have been revived not so long ago with the war in Syria, the destruction in Iraq that followed the rise of Islamic State and the highly publicized uh, attacks on cultural heritage. But I feel like the, what happened in Bosnia-Herzegovina has been kind of forgotten, especially in the heritage community. It's very noticeable. So I'm very pleased to be here in Trinity College to be talking about this today. And it's, that's, uh, as I'm sure many of you know, that's the National Library after it was intentionally shelled in 1992. But I just wanted to give first... Um, this works? Nope, didn't work. Whatever. See. Okay. Just, um, just a sort of overview of situating Bosnia-Herzegovina. As you can see, it is in Europe. So this was a European war taking place in Europe. It was the worst destruction of cultural heritage in Europe since the end of the Second World War. And as you can see, it's uh, not that far. I mean, it was, they always say it was two hours from London, so maybe a little bit longer from Dublin, uh, but just across the Adriatic from Italy. So this is not, you know, this is Europe. It's all been happening in Europe. Uh, but Bosnia was part of the Ottoman Empire for, uh, and the Islamic world for over 400 years, from a sort of mid-15th century. This is an Ottoman map, and Bosnia, of course, is up 
up. It does not specify, well, maybe it says Bosnia in Arabic, but I don't read Arabic. And here's some of the, there were over 30,000 Islamic manuscripts in Sarajevo alone, in Arabic, Persian, Ottoman, Turkish, and Bosnian in Arabic script. And it was called Arabica, but it was a, a genre known as Al-Yamyado, which are foreign languages, but written in Arabic script. And here's some of the manuscripts. And this was the um, Kushumliya Madrasa, well, it is, it's still there, Kushumliya Madrasa in Sarajevo. But it was also became part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, uh, from 1878 until the end of the First World War. So Austria were decided to you know, show what a great good, good they are with colonies. Uh, so they did a lot of building. And a lot of, after the Second World War, a lot of the public institutions, uh, these public institutions, memory institutions, knowledge institutions, uh, is, uh, so galleries, museums, libraries, archives, they were actually situated in Austro-Hungarian buildings. Uh, and, and one amazing building, which I love, my favorite, is the uh, National Museum, which was a purpose-built museum. Uh, and it was uh, founded by the Austrian-Hungarian administration in 1888. But they built this purpose-built museum in 1913. And it's actually four buildings. That's just the front one. But during the war, this was Sniper's Alley. So quite a different, but this, uh, this is pictures from the 1930s. And then after the First World War, it became part of Yugoslavia, first, first Kingdom of Yugoslavia, and then after the Second World War, it was part of the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. So it was, it was actually a separate republic, along with the others, Croatia, Slovenia, Serbia, Montenegro, Macedonia, and in theory, it had the right to secede, in theory. So it, and it did secede and declared independence uh, March 1992, and it became a UN member state in May 1992. And I've had people who ought to know better saying to me, oh, well, you know, UNESCO did nothing in, in, in Bosnia because it was still part of Yugoslavia. I don't know. UN member state from May 1992. So, so the Bosnian War, 1992-1995. So it was very driven by ideologies of so separate nationalists, and it started out with the Bosnian Serb separatists, uh, and then Bosnian Croats kind of took it up, uh, and it was living separately, ethnic exclusivism, targeting groups, so it meant targeting people, so targeting Muslims mostly, and depending where it was, sometimes it was targeting Croats who were Catholic or sometimes Serbs who were Orthodox, but it was very tar much targeting a diverse heritage, and Bosnia's very diverse plural heritage. Uh, it would, they wanted all, all evidence of this eliminated. And it was targeting a pan-Bosnian identity. So this is the Bosnian war, was what it was characterized by. Ethnic cleansing and expulsions, killings, paramilitaries coming in from Serbia. That's Arkans Tigers. I think this is Arkans Tigers as well. And then mass graves. So this is one of the main, main things we know about the Bosnian War. Uh, and the Siege of Sarajevo, of course. Uh, so they were shelling, indiscriminate shelling, sniping at civilians, the whole destruction of urban life. And you can see there's the National Library, the ruins of it there, or the remains of it. That's Sarajevo. I think it's after the war, but kind of, well, maybe it's before the war. I'm just looking at the library. It doesn't look that rebuilt look about it. But uh, so the siege of Sarajevo. So that's kind of the two famous things people know about 
the Bosnian Wars, the ethnic cleansing and the siege of Sarajevo. But of course, it was also famous for the destruction of cultural and religious heritage. And this is um, this kind of typifies to me what Bosnia was like. So forgetting Sarajevo, but all these little towns, small villages. And this was, this was very typical that you can see there's a Serbian Orthodox church on the right, Catholic uh, chapel on the left, and then the mosque in the background. And that was very typical of a lot of these small towns. Uh, but after it was occupied by Bosnian Serb forces, uh, the non-Serb population was expelled. You see what happened to the chapel, Catholic chapel, and the, the mosque. So that's what happened. They've all been now restored, I must say. But, um, but, and the, uh, the Orthodox Church, by the way, was never damaged even when it was retaken by the Bosnian army. And this is actually, I think, a post-war picture when everything's been restored. But that's what it looked like before the war. So, apart from the ethnic cleansing, this was the other main feature of the war, was the intentional destruction of cultural heritage. Now, it was not collateral damage. Most of the time it took place, there was no fighting going on where, where, where the damage, this, this was Banja Luka, there was no fighting in Banja Luka. This mosque, the Ferhadiya Mosque, you can see it was an Ottoman mosque, was blown up intentionally by the Bosnian Serb authorities in 1993. And this was taken by some brave men who uh, saw the reaction of the uh, people. That's the day after. And they, of course, didn't manage to do it completely. So and this was another one he took here. And you can see the Ottoman clock tower in the background. And that was, th so this was in May. And in December, they blew up the clock tower. And here you can see on the left, that was the remains of the clock tower in 2001. And that was the site of the Ferhadian 2005, so that's 10 years after the end of the war, um, as archaeologists were beginning to excavate its foundations. And that was when I was visiting there. Um, that one was taken by the, um, the uh, uh, Commission to Preserve National Monuments. Uh, again, deliberate targeting of cultural heritage. This was Plehen Franciscan Monastery, intentionally targeted by Bosnian Serb forces, and in the end, they were shelling it for uh, days, and then in the end, they sent a, you know, a truck full of explosives and just aimed it at the monastery, drove towards the monastery. But some of the monastery's collections had been evacuated to Croatia uh, before the war, or before at least it was under attack, and it was stored in Slavonski Broad, and then you see this kind of dispersal and movement of cultural property, and then there were floods in Slavonski Broad, and a lot of this stuff got damaged in the floods, even though it had survived the war. So this destruction of cultural and religious property, it's a, it was a part of ethnic cleansing. So there's this kind of trend now to talk about, you know, fashionably talk about cultural cleansing, and, you know, UNESCO goes on about cultural cleansing, as if it's kind of separate from people. It, it was not separate from people. It certainly wasn't separate in Bosnia. It was part of a whole process to destroy and expel, get rid of uh, uh, communities, mostly, I mean, it was overwhelmingly Ottoman and Muslim uh, structures that were destroyed. Others, I mean, some Orthodox Serb and some Croatian stroke Catholics structures were destroyed, but it was really targeted at Muslims mostly. And if you look at the statistics, you know, this, this, is, this is one thing about 
being this long after the war, there are statistics. People have done surveys. There have been war crimes investigations. So it's quite clear who was being targeted. Uh, this was uh, Amici, the infamous massacre. Amici, but the, all these pictures were taken. Uh, the other ones by my colleague, uh, who we went around doing a survey of destroyed cultural property uh, because uh, basically uh, Muslims in Sarajevo were too petrified to go into the Serbian bit of Bosnia. So this is 2000 and 2001. So five years after the war, they were petrified and people kept saying, don't go, don't go, don't, you shouldn't go. And uh, this picture, that was the mihrab of what had been a very famous 17th century mosque. We had no idea it was, where it was. And this very nice lady here was from a, she was actually from a Serbian NGO. Uh, someone suggested you know, she would be good, take us round, and she kind of collared this old man. Well, he's not that old, but uh, he'd been around, and he said it was his duty to, he felt it was his duty to, because she, she, we didn't know where it was, she couldn't, she didn't know where it was, and he showed us, and it was, this forest had literally grown up since the war. So, you know, because they're all young trees, you can see, and that was the mihrab of what had been a very famous 17th century mosque. And uh, he, he said he, he was just working in his garden, and she just kind of collared him and said, you know, <laughs> where was the mosque? And uh, he, he said, oh, I think it's my duty to show you. So, so she, she helped us. Uh, she was great. But again, intentional targeting of cultural heritage. And of course, this is one of the most infamous uh, episodes, is the uh, destruction of the old bridge at Mostar. And this was Bosnian Serb, not Bosnian Serb, Bosnian Croat troops, uh, when they, they'd been kind of Bosnian government and Bosnian troops had been, they'd been, had an alliance, uh, but uh, then that broke down with the, actually the Vance Owen agreement, or the proposed Vance Owen agreement to divide Bosnia into these ethnically dominated cantons, and the Bosnian Croats wanted to claim Mostar as their capital, and they turned on their allies and started targeting well, they've been target, they targeted many buildings, but the bridge was the big destruction, and then you could, that's just various phases, that's what it looked like before, and uh, during the war, someone filmed it at the moment of um, being destroyed, and then what it looked like afterwards. But I, I must say that, you know, it's still kind of sometimes portrayed as all three sides were equivalent in their destruction. Well, let's say Bosnian Muslims, Bosnian Croats, Bosnian Serbs. It, it just isn't true. And as say, 20 years of war crimes investigations have shown that the ethnic cleansing and the destruction was carried out by, principally by Bosnian Serb forces. And they occupied 70% of the territory of Bosnia-Herzegovina. There was not a single mosque left intact, a minaret left intact. Uh, in that territory, except one, and that was because local people protected it, local Serbs, which is quite interesting. But um, and then followed by Bosnian Croats, and even though Bosnian government troops, they said they did breach Geneva Conventions, but they never had policies of ethnic cleansing and this intentional destruction. So that it's one myth kind of began. I still hear people say that say this this myth myth to me that. Oh, yeah, they were all doing it. No, <laughs> they weren't all doing it. So, but then, you see, that this was the Orthodox Cathedral in Mostar. It was on the east side. Uh, it was Bosnian Croat, Croat extremists. 
Um, I've, I've even read that it was built after the, you know, during the Austro-Hungarian period, but it wasn't. It was built during the Ottoman period, and the Sultan Abdulaziz actually gave a contribution towards building it. And you can see the mosque underneath. That minaret was also gone in the war, but that's what happened. It was blown up intentionally, and that was the ruins of, of, the, um, of the Orthodox Cathedral. And these are just some pictures when I was going on this survey with my colleague, who's uh, Richard Carlton from Newcastle University, who's an archaeologist, whose wife is Bosnian, and he speak, also speaks fluent Bosnian, which helps. Uh, but you can see this is, this is all we took them at the time. So you can see this Azizia Mosque, that's all that was left, just this line. You can see the, some line of its foundations, another one, Pridvorsi, a heap of stones. There, there's a bit more left, and there, contours go a bit more left. But that was that was uh, destruction we came across, and we were recording it. And all our all our documentation we passed over to the um, <coughs> war crimes tribunal, the international criminal tribunal for the former Yugoslavia. So we so we went 2000 and 2001. So that's when we were these pictures were taken. But here you see, here's a, in Navesigny, not only were all the mosques destroyed, but the Catholic Church was destroyed. Again, it was Bosnian-Serb-held territory. No fighting in the town. They were just blown up. That's what the, the very handsome uh, 19th century church built by the Austrian-Hungarians. Um, this was taken in 2003. And then in 2005, they went to try and, and the remains were dumped, that's <coughs> dumped on the outskirts of town. And this was, uh, this was on the church website I've taken it from when they went to find the stones of the church so they could rebuild it. But, of course, they ended up, they couldn't use any of those stones, but that, that is the remains of that church. And this was the fate of most of the destroyed mosques. So it was either parking, these were all taken, except that one by me or my colleagues, and uh, uh, car parks. And when this was the site, this was a, a landfill site. This, that, that's the remains of the Ferhadia Mosque in uh, Bamiluka. And it was actually mixed with, and they just dumped it in the municipal rubbish dump. And it was just incredible because it was just, well, I can imagine what a rubbish dump looked like with the you know, birds flying around, seagulls. And, um, and these archaeologists were trying to separate two different mosques, two important mosques, Ottoman mosques, so they, so they could hopefully use some of them to rebuild the mosque, uh, which it did get reconstructed eventually. But that's, that's the fate. That's what happened to them. So it was kind of obliterating from the landscape. It was like removing, removing them from the landscape. Uh, you would kind of remove all evidence that these people, Muslims, had ever lived in this territory. And, and although the Bosnian War is not considered a religious war or even ethnic conflict, but rather it's the outcome of a political pro project orchestrated from Belgrade. Uh, those, of course, those promoting the conflict certainly mobilized the past and perceived ethno-national and ethno-religious differences. Um, so as I say, this is not, none of this is collateral damage. This is all intentional. It was all far from the front lines. Uh, only in Mostar there was, there was fighting back and forth and in Sarajevo, but most of these things, these places, the cultural institutions or mosques or religious buildings were intentionally targeted. And I'll just look at a few case studies. So this is a Focha, ethnic cleansing of Focha. So this was a, a small town in eastern Herzegovina, um, 
large percentage of Muslims and when and but there's some I'm going a little bit on Focha. So, so there was a gradual takeover of Focha by a Bosnian Serb crisis committee in spring of 1992. So this is how it operated, and the, the town's Muslim population was was uh, targeted to and. They hoped to eliminate them completely from the neighborhood. And so the population had been almost 52%. But by 1995, there were virtually no Muslims left in Focha, and entire Muslim neighborhoods and all the town's mosques had been intentionally attacked or destroyed or razed to the ground. And the, this uh, on the far left, it's from the, this is satellite imagery, and it was used in the war crimes trial. And it, was, uh, it shows on the left-hand side of the picture the Muslim neighborhoods, with you can see they're completely roofless. And on the right, there's Serb neighborhoods where nothing was targeted. This was taken by some photojournalist uh, just after the ethnic cleansing of Focha. And that was a Muslim neighborhood, completely destroyed. The mosque is still there, but it didn't last long. This was a picture we took um, when we went there in 2000. Uh, and all around that mosque, this was the only domed mosque structure left in Republic, what was now Republic of Srpska, and it was, um, they would not allow anyone to protect it, they wouldn't, so that even after, this is after the war, they would not allow authorities to come from Sarajevo or anywhere, the, the Republic of Srpska authorities were not interested in protecting it, and gradually the mosque collapsed, this dome collapsed, I should have shown some pictures of that, but it collapsed and, in, um, and then brought back down the remaining structure, and then finally, when they were permitted not that long ago to go in, there was emergency stabilization, but there was very little left. It was just you know one or two walls. All that dome is gone. It's all gone. That was 2000, and it was like that. And this was from again the war crimes investigators took this photograph, and it was they were uh, in excavating a mass grave site or a suspected mass grave site, and they found parts of the Alaja Mosque, and that's one of the, oops, wrong way. So that was part of this mosque. So that was actual war crimes investigators from the ICTY were witnessing this excavation and they just started finding these pieces of the mosque, a column from the mosque, this mosque, the Alaja Mosque. Uh, and again, that's the site in 1996. That's what it looked like before it was destroyed. And this was another photographic evidence from the, um, from the ICTY, and it was taken by satellite. You can see October 1991. You can just see here the minaret of the mosque, and there the same site, and it's just rubble in 1992. And it was destroyed in the beginning of August 1992. And then someone took this picture in 1996. And this was another mosque, uh, the Sarava Mosque, the one that I showed, that mosque there. So that's, that's what it looked like before the war. And that's what it looked like in 2000 when we went there, which was just this rubbish-strewn site. But of course, it wasn't just uh, most of these mosques. They had important, they weren't just <coughs> the religious building, but they had important libraries and archives there. So even, even ones that looked modern, they may have been actually founded in the 17th century. So they would still have their collections, they would still have even carpets. And I know I, some, some colleagues think, oh, they always all destroyed, but I tend to think, uh, I'm sure some of it was looted and sold because they had value, you know, carpets have value. 
uh, you know, they've said, oh, well, they're not interested in Islamic manuscripts. Like, mm, well, they got value, you know, metal work. So, but that was that's that's what it looked like in two thousand. Uh, but as I said, a lot of these mosques, they were they were not just the religious building, but they contained <coughs> many important archives and manuscripts. So this is another one. This was Yanya, the Attic Mosque. Uh, and it held, you see, 200 rare manuscripts, uh, 3,200 old printed books in Ottoman Turkish, uh, Bosnian, Arabic, and Persian, and included the uh, collections of this Alia Sadikovic, who was quite a famous Muslim scholar, and this Halil Efendia Yelic and Mustafa Efendia Hajic. And it was all blown up. And that was it shortly after it was blown up, but before they bulldozed it. And that was the site when we went there 2001. So completely leveled. And they also destroyed the graveyard of the mosque as well. And another example is Stalatz, which was this very beautiful little, uh, again, town, but Herzegovina. And this time it was Bosnian Croat extremists uh, who were doing the destroying. And it was very famous for being this, apart from all these lovely little Ottoman buildings, it was a kind of home of these uh, grandees of the Ottoman period. So a lot of very you know, <coughs> lovely mansions built during the Ottoman era, uh, which would be full of um, full of kind of collections of manuscripts, uh, interior decorations, uh, interior and uh, uh, sort of furniture, carpets, embroideries, metalwork. Bosnia was very famous for its metalwork. And they were either looted or completely destroyed. And this is showing you, this is the Pogradska Mosque. Uh, both these mosques had important manuscripts and archives, libraries. That's what it looked like before the war, and that was the site <coughs> afterwards. That was, again, the Zarova Mosque, the imperial mosque before the war. And that's as they're starting to rebuild it. And this was literally in the center of Stalatz. And when I've been there, it was before they started rebuilding. It's just like and it's a very extreme nationalist Croat um, local authority. They're not all like that, but Stalatz is. So it's become this kind of a sort of heritage and flashpoint where there's lots of restoration being going on, but there's kind of competitive restor restoration. So the, you know, the Muslim po population who were, of course, ethnically cleansed, they'll rebuild something, and then the Catholics think they have to build something higher. And uh, so here you can see, here's, so there's this place that was a Catholic center, and they decided they suddenly needed a bell tower on it that was higher than the mosque. And then the, and then the, um, you know, the, the Muslims decided they need to rebuild the Ottoman clock tower, which had actually been destroyed before, you know, I think before the Second World War, uh, but that's been rebuilt. So there's competitive uh, kind of, it's a real flashpoint stall still. But this was like, you can see in the background all these ruined buildings, they were all Ottoman buildings. <laughs> and this is just volunteers starting to rebuild the Zarva Mosque. Uh, that's probably 2002, I think the mosque was finished 2003. But of course, this is the, what a lot of people, no, this is the National and University Library in Sarajevo. And this was really, so they weren't, you know, ethnically identified, they weren't religiously identified, but they did hold this, this um, identity as a pan-Bosnian identity, a plural identity. And the people who were the destroyers did not want this. They wanted this separate, we were separate, there is no Bosnian identity. Even people 
like Henry Kissinger was saying, there's no such thing as a Bosnian identity. There's no pan-Bosnian identity. Everyone's separate, when in fact that was not true. So this uh, Sarajevo was, as you uh, almost in the old part of town anyway, surrounded by mountains where the Bosnian Serb artillery was shooting down on the city. And the library was targeted uh, by uh, incendiary shells. And it was actually when the London, there was a London conference on Bosnia going on in, in, uh, well, in London. Uh, and it was obviously something to prove a point. But as you can see, more than 1.5 million books. This, this book, this, I was saying to, earlier, this was actually built as a town hall. So it was a Sarajevo town hall. And the people call, still call it the Vietnamese, which is town hall. So it was only made the library uh, in 1949 during the communist socialist Tito time. Um, probably wasn't terribly suitable as a library, but, um, and it's not a library now, even though it's been restored. But at that time, it was a library, and you can see the effect of the, just the heat from all the burning books, how it totally destroyed the interior. And uh, it, was, it held estimated over 1.5 million volumes, over 155,000 rare books, uh, unique archives, complete set of all the books and newspapers and journals published in Bosnia since the mid-19th century, and the main research collections of University of Sarajevo. Uh, a fraction of it has survived. I'm never quite sure what. It's always kind of unclear, but something like 85% was destroyed. So, but, you know, I have no idea exactly what. But they're not, there's, they're not there now. There's not a library anymore. And then there was the Oriental Institute. And again, it was deliberately targeted. You can see it was another Austro-Hungarian building um, targeted in May 1992, again, with it, intentionally with incendiary shells. And the buildings around it were not touched, just this one. And um, it, it held uh, it's over 5,000 manuscripts in Arabic, Persian, Ottoman, Turkish, Bosnian, Slavic, uh, so the Arabica. Uh, archive of 200,000 Ottoman documents. So this is all like primary source material for the history of Bosnia. A uh, collection of over 100 Ottoman cadastral registers, uh, which recorded land ownership and population structure, and 300 microfilm reels of copies of Bosnian manuscripts in private hands, and a reference collection of 10,000 books and 300 sets of periodicals. And you can see this is what it looked like afterwards. Here's one of the singed documents. Here's a document. There's a manuscript that belonged to before. And this is, well, it's not that one probably, but that was the end result of this total destruction. And there were other libraries targeted and destroyed. So this is the Mostar of, Archive of Herzegovina the archive of the Institute for Protection of Monuments. This is just something like the newspaper archive from Oslobodzian newspaper, the most famous uh, Sarajevan newspaper. And that was, I think it was from its um, obituaries archive, but you know, the, it, it was very badly attacked as well because it was still publishing all, and it did publish all during the war. And then there were private collections. And of course, you know, the, even here, here in Britain, they wouldn't be listed and they were destroyed or looted. And I think a lot of them were looted. And, and again, I think a lot of contents of mosques and things were looted. And I've been doing some research on that. And I just can't believe that you know, they, these had monetary value, these things. And unfortunately, most of it seemed to end up in, in Belgrade or 
possibly in Zagreb. Now, here's a, cost, uh, a couple of examples of the looting. So this was the Avnoi Museum, and I'm sure the Bosnians know what Avnoi is, but it was um, a famous it's initials for a famous meeting in 1943 of Tito and all the partisans to decide on the future of Yugoslavia, and also I think it was when Bosnia was, you know, when they said there would be separate republics. And so it, had a, it was a very uh, popular museum in the Yugoslav period. People used to visit it. Uh, but it was, uh, Yaise was occupied by Bosnian Serbs during the war. And after Yaitse was retaken, they, they found the museum like that, kind of completely, almost completely looted. Some, it's very interesting because the Franciscans monasteries, the Franciscans were, a lot of them were, uh, especially in central Bosnia, northern Bosnia, were very pro-Bosnia as a country. And uh, they did take in a lot of um, artifacts. So some of their paintings uh, went to this Franciscan monastery in Yaitse. But a lot were looted. And it held, you see, about 10,000 books. And they had uh, about 500 works by this quite, he's well-known in Slovenia, uh, Božidar Jakac. So 500, um, over 500 artworks. And he had actually attended this meeting. So a lot of this, these would be like reportage that he'd done at the time. And he gave all these to this museum. Uh, so they all were gone. And then 19, 2012, so the war ended in 1990. Five. Uh, in 2012, it was suddenly, suddenly discovered that there were 200 and something of his works at a museum in, or a gallery, I should say, in uh, Republika Srpska in Banja Luka. You know, they res rescued them evidently, um, and then they suddenly said, "Oh, well, we'll give them back." In 2012, and it's only because somebody in the Aitse was told they had them, and he confronted them and they said, oh yeah, we'll give them back. And, and, he was, uh, and they did. And then they made this big drama about well, you know, the, the cultural heritage of Bosnia-Herzegovina. And I thought, the guy who was like, I interviewed him in 1996 and he was, he was not very pro the common cultural heritage of Bosnia-Herzegovina. I can tell you he was uh, wanting to, uh, you know, claim works by Bosnia, a Serbian art, Bosnian Serb artists and, you know, collections in Sarajevo and get rid of all the works by Muslim artists. So, uh, and then another case was this, another similar case was this Franciscan, um, oh yeah, yeah, and then continuing with that is 44 of these works from this museum were found, given anonymously to the Bosnian embassy in Belgrade in 2016. So, so 200 and something of these works turned up in Republika Srpska, well, taken there 1995, returned 2012, 2016, 44 of these works by Mr. Yakats were found dumped. Well, I don't dumped, but anyway, they appeared at the Bosnian Embassy in Belgrade with the stamp of the museum on the back, so pretty obvious where they came from. It took more than two years for them to come back from Serbia. And in fact, they were sitting on them in Sarajevo. Uh, and, uh, and I think it was only when I kind of wrote to them and said I was going to write a thing if they didn't respond and give me a quote I would put it in I never did write anything in the end but I you know I said I was going to I would say they aren't commenting about it and all of a sudden I got a reply from the press officer and and all of a sudden there were all these articles about them giving back these paintings to the actual museum because they were just sitting in Sarajevo and then so it's very interesting because unfortunately there's some quite nationalist the way the country was divided after the war and the politics, there's some quite nationalist Serbs 
controlling these access to culture. So, for instance, the woman who who was she didn't deign to ever reply to my emails, but um, who was kind of uh, responsible for this, who said, "Oh, this these works will be given back very soon," and it was like over two years, almost three years, and. Uh, she got her job as she was the goddaughter of this really noxious man who was very nationalist Serb who'd been in the security services during the war. So, and there's other other institutions, cultural institutions that give access to international institutions that are controlled by people who are not sympathetic to the idea of Bosnia as a state. So, and this also this is another example: the Franciscan Theological Seminary occupied the, by the Bosnian Serb army. They looted it, all of all its library. It had quite an important, you know, it's a modern building, but it had some very important library with old books in it. And they, it was looted. And when the Franciscans returned in 1996, uh, you know, it was just empty. Some of these books turned up in Belgrade and offered to the Franciscans in Belgrade. This was, you know, during when the war was still on by some dealer. And he said, no, I don't want them. They're, you know, had the st stamp of the stamp of their semi stamp on it. And then the Franciscans, but that was just a few of them. Uh, and then uh, uh, they kept looking and they had some contacts, you know, in the government who had contacts with the government in the Republic of Srpska. And they were discovered uh, about 30,000 of their books were discovered in a public library in the Serbian bit of Sarajevo. So they did get returned. But, you know, this is strange, strange kind of uh, scenario I've seen many times where they, you know, they, they're, they're looted and suddenly they're discovered in this public institution <laughs> in Republika Srpska. So, so the National Museum, now I'll go into some more positive things. So the National Museum, as I said, it was built by the Austro-Hungarians. It's fantastic. It's a beautiful building. It's actually four pavilions. That's the front one. And in the center, there's the botanical, that's the botanical garden. And these were the Stechsi, which I'll show you later here. But you can see it was right on the front line at the beginning of the war. It's that sniper's alley there. And behind was the river Miljatska. And there were snipers. It was Bosnian Serb-held territory behind. Uh, but it survived, it got reconstructed, and of course one of the most famous exhibits there was the Sarajevo Haggadah, and some people think it was part of the National Library, but it was not, it was owned by the museum. So, uh, and it was um, bought by the museum in 1894, and then um, take, uh, because nobody really had the expertise, it was the Austrian period, so nobody had the expertise. They sent it to, uh, to Vienna to, be, um, to have some experts look at it, and eventually got returned to Bosnia. And then during the war, uh, this, um, this quite gung-ho archaeology <coughs> professor, uh, because it was right in the front line, it was all but abandoned, the museum, and uh, there were, the, I think the director, he was quite old by that time anyway, and he couldn't even get there because it, because of the fighting. So this archaeology professor called Enver Imamovic, he went with, there were a small group of people who were trying to rescue cultural items. So he rescued it, got it, took it to the, him and his group, took it to the National Bank and stored it there. But then the story appeared in the uh, American press saying that the, the Muslims had sold the Haggadah, Sarajevo Haggadah for arms by an American journalist. 
And of course, then there was a great furore, and the Bosnians thought, no, we have to show it, we have it. Uh, but the museum didn't want them to because they thought, what will happen to it? You know, they were still fighting in Sarajevo. It was when I was there, this all happened. But they took it, they just took it out, and they had a Passover Seder in the synagogue. And I think, I don't know if why, yeah, I mean, I've met this Rashad Koga, I think he was, he was Jewish, so he was allowed to, he was the one who was handling it. Of course, museum people were horrified. He was just, you know, showing them, turning over this book because it was, it's from uh, Spain, a 14th century manuscript. Um, survived, you know, it went to, uh, it was, they know it went to Italy and then somehow ended up in Sarajevo because the Ottoman emperors were welcoming Jewish communities who were expelled from Spain. Uh, and it, say it was sold, sold to a museum in 1894, but now it is actually on display at the museum. They, they couldn't afford to actually have it on display beforehand because it needed, you know, it's worth so much money, special protection, etc., etc. And they finally got funding. This is now, you can go, if you go on the right day, so if you're ever going, make sure you choose the right day. Um, it's not open every day for, I don't know why, but it's not open every day. Um, but that survived. But one of the big uh, success, no, I don't know, success, um, success stories, but so it's not just uh, destruction, but this Ghazi Husrev Beg library is, uh, what is, is a big survivor, and it has the most important collection of Islamic manuscripts in the Balkan region, really. And I uh, think some of the audience probably been there. That's just some of the things they have. So Ghazi Husrev Beg was this uh, famous um, Ottoman uh, uh, he was governor of, of, Sarah, of Bosnia. Uh, so it was founded, as you can see, 1537, and you know it had various vicissitudes. But during the war, this I first encountered this was Mustafa Yahic, who really saved the library during the war, and it was based at that point in this building on the other side of the river from where it was originally and is now. Um, the, and they were just that someone just said, "Oh, didn't you know this library survived?" and and that completely. Uh, but it was basically due down to him and his colleagues. Um, one good thing they said was just before the war, they had done a um, collecting trip, and they did go to a lot of small mosques and just collect Islamic manuscripts, manuscripts from these small mosques and um, bring them to the library. And they were very keen for us to contact the Al-Furqan Foundation, which is in London, uh, which that's what they do, work with um, Islamic manuscripts and books and uh, help them publish the, their last um, catalogue, their net, their net, we had, so they gave us this big huge book to take back with us, of their last catalogue, <laughs> and, uh, and my colleague gamely put it in her bag, and you know, and, uh, and they did, they came up with all kinds of equipment, helped them publish the manuscript, gave them all kinds of scanning equipment and other equipment, but, um, but of course now they're in this very nice uh, glitzy library, huge, a library that was uh, had a lot of funding from Qatar, government of Qatar. But they are a fantastic institution. I think some of these people, some people here may have been there. But that was Mustafa Yahid. He's no longer director. He's still there, but he maybe got, I don't know why he, he probably got fed up. But, um, and this was another project by, um, uh, to try and reconstitute some of the holdings of the, of the, uh, Oriental Institute, is this, but uh, and it was Andras Riddlemeyer, who you may know, Amila Buturovic, whose sister 
worked at uh, the National Library and was killed during the war, and this Irving Schick, they started it. And they were basically trying to contact academics who'd worked in the Oriental Institute before the war and see if they had photocopies of material. And uh, I did ask Andrush, who I know very well, um, and he said it kind of petered out in 2009 because people, even though they had quite a few successes, they, you know, people were dying off because they were mostly older generation, and then their uh, heirs may not, you know, they, they knew the books were probably valuable. They had no idea that, you know, files full of photocopies were important. So they said their last really main, but they gave all, all the material they collected, which was quite a bit, about several thousands of um, items, they did give back to the Oriental Institute, but of course nothing like what was destroyed. But of course there's also this Bosniak, Bosniaczki Institute, uh, which was, uh, some people aren't too, I don't know, because I think they know the old institutions and this was uh, created by a wealthy Bosnian who lived mostly in Switzerland until after the war and he went back and he sort of acquired from the government what had been another part of the Ghazi Husrev Beg's sort of vakuf, uh, which was this hammam, and then built these two not very nice buildings there. But it, he does. There is a superb collection of manuscripts <coughs> and documents also in this library, uh, and it's accessible to anyone. It's online. You can you know. So it's not some hidden thing. Uh, so they they're an important new you know. It started after the war, but. That wasn't the end of the destruction of archives in Bosnia. So in February 2014, the archives of Bosnia-Herzegovina, the state archives, um, which were unfortunately in the government buildings, which were satellite by rioters, and this was the result here, uh, is that you can see how badly they were damaged. And this was mostly Austro-Hungarian era material and material from between the World Wars and from the Second World War. So it was another part of Bosnia's history, archival history destroyed, unfortunately, during that time. But a lot can be, a lot has been reconstructed. Buildings have been reconstructed, so that's the National Library, that's the Ferhadia Mosque, uh, the Mostar Bridge, that's the Orthodox Cathedral, that's the, the church I showed you, Nevesinje, uh, the mosque, one of the mosques in Zaraba, the main mosque I showed you with the people um, starting to rebuild. And then this one I also find interesting, and my colleague calls them memorial mosques because no Muslims went back, but they decided they were going to rebuild the mosques anyway, and there's quite a few of these where nobody, lit, no Muslims returned. It's too insecure. Some of them wouldn't return anyway. There were small places in the country, you know, they may have become depopulated, but there are two, you know, all around it, the area is very uh, still pro a lot of the war criminals like Seychelles. So they're not, you, you would not be secure. And the houses around there, they're still, as they were, destroyed and roofless. Uh, but they rebuilt the mosque because they wanted to show the Muslims used to live here. And they, maybe once a year, there may be some gathering at the mosque. Uh, so, yeah, so that, I mean, we took this photograph. Um, that was given to me, but um, but the Fair Hadia, they actually did use quite a lot of the remains of the mosque that I showed you in the in the landfill site. I don't think they did from the Al Rajasa mosque. But this was 2016. This was 
I just opened this year, the Alaja Mosque. So this is like a long time after the end of the war. Uh, but buildings, as I say, buildings can be reconstructed, but um, documents can't. Of course, people can't, but I'm talking about the, the documents. And the, when they're burnt and gone, they're gone forever. Uh, so, so to a certain extent, you know, they look like they, well, the, the church doesn't. Uh, the Orthodox Church, it was only because one of the conservators, uh, the Bosnian Serb woman, really fought for it, because they would have just built some concrete thing. But she really fought to have it restored the way it used to be, out of stone. Um, this was only opened, the, the National Library was only opened, I think, 2011. So this is like a long time after the end of the war. And just to finish off, I was just talking about one last thing is uh, uh, Bosnia's medieval heritage. Now, because of the Ottoman invasion <coughs> occupation, most of it was destroyed and dispersed. So I'm kind of interested in how, and people are very interested in it. So the only thing that survives are these Stechci, these, these Bosnian medieval tombstones. And here's some here, Stechak and Stechci. And they are all over the place. But they're you know, metalwork was quite important. Manuscripts were very important. There was a real book culture. And they're dispersed. And this is actually in Dublin. You can go and see it. It's at the Chester Beattie Library. It's the Nicolia Gospel. Uh, so that was uh, from the uh, Gospel of the Bosnian Church. So this is, this is another aspect of cultural... It's not all destroyed, but it's definitely dispersed. Uh, I think probably a lot of metalwork was uh, melted down, but... So this is like, how do people have access to this culture? And how that is a part of their, there was a very important medieval kingdom. So, and these statues see about um, 20, uh, well, forget many in total, but because uh, they've been declared world heritage sites, but most of them are in Bosnia, about 20 in Bosnia, but there's some in Serbia, Croatia, and Montenegro, but they're basically what was the Bosnian kingdom in the Middle Ages. And uh, of course, UNESCO loved it because it was like, oh, like these countries did it all together. They're all kind of reconciling. Isn't it lovely? So, but most of them ended up in Bosnia, so as Bosnian sites which it should be because <laughs> that's where most of them are. Uh, but you just go everywhere you go, you can find these. This is on a hill, but you go through a woods and you'll come on this huge stone uh, monument uh, or gravestone. And this is a very famous site from Abinia. So I'll finish there on Thank you, Helen, for sharing such a powerful story. Um, I think it puts our experience in Ireland into a very useful and important context. Um, and uh, I think the scale of it, I, I just had no idea. Um, uh, and it's chilling, not just the destruction, but the level of looting. Um, and uh, obviously, as you say, you can rebuild uh, buildings. And again, going back to our trip to Mostar, we saw the beautiful new bridge in Mostar. But what nobody tells you is just how divided Mostar is and how you know that continues. Anyway, um, I'd like to invite my colleague, Balaj Apoor, to respond, uh, if you can, Balaj, that's not an easy one, but Balaj teaches Eastern European history here in Trinity. His research interests include the study of propaganda and, and symbolic politics 
under communist uh, rule um, and the Sovietization of Eastern Europe after the Second World War. Balash actually was with us in this Global Humanities Institute uh, in uh, Croatia. I don't think you came to Bosnia, though. You weren't able to come. And there's a lady with a dreadful cough here. Can I get you a glass of water? Thanks, Jane. Um, yes, it is not easy, of course, to, to respond um, uh, to such a story. Um, well, we talked a little bit uh, before uh, before the, this great lecture by Helen. Um, thanks, that was really, really exciting, and I've learned an awful lot. And we agreed that I will come up with some spontaneous uh, responses rather than delivering a, a systematic uh, yeah. a critical review of, uh, of the talk um, and basically just to kind of lead uh, towards the Q&A session. So um, I'm going to be asking questions um, really um, uh, and hope with, the, with the aim of opening up the, the floor for more questions and I'm sure there will be, there will be plenty. So, um, so it's really an interesting time, uh, 25, almost 25 years uh, after, after the events uh, and uh, what is really interesting about, about uh, this specific uh, historical event is that in this case, you, I mean, memory in a certain way is, is still very hot, but at the same time it is, it is very cold. So it is a very interesting historical uh, conjuncture, I think, which, which offers us the opportunity to, to, to look back at the events from a historical perspective. I mean, there are war criminals still being convicted. I think there was a case in October, if I remember well, in relation to uh, atrocities in Visegrad. But at the same time, there are war criminals that are about to be released, so they've already served uh, the majority of their sentences. So this is a very interesting um, period of time to look back at what, what, what happened back there. Uh, but I, I would start with two observations about, uh, about the nature of the, the events, two very general observations. One of them is, is related to, to the period when this destruction, cultural destruction, took place, which was the early 1990s, which um, uh, I suppose most of you would, would, would remember was possibly one of the most optimistic decades of the 20th century, if not the most optimistic decades of the 20th century with European integration, Maastricht, and so on and so on. So European Euro-optimism was at its height. Uh, and of course, one of, the, one of the foundation myths of the European Union was a negative foundation myth, and that was destruction uh, during the Second World War with a specific em emphasis on, on the Holocaust. So one of the cornerstones of European integration was the, was the never again message, and that, that was promoted uh, uh, quite vocally, of course, and, 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 and uh, very loudly at a time when the, those things were happening again um, in Europe, um, of course, in, in, in Bosnia. Uh, Herzegovina, there was ethnic cleansing, which, uh, uh, you know, of course, um, uh, provoked the unparalleled destruction of cultural heritage and, and, and cultural property as well. So that's, that contrast is, I think, is something that we often forget about, that there is this great optimism which is coupled with this uh, in, incredible and, uh, and brutal destruction. Uh, the other thing about is, is uh, related to... Um, to the to the events in Bosnia um, themselves, and, and it's, it's of course it's often uh, been discussed uh, how ethnic cleansing was connected to to the destruction of, of 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 memory and history and cultural heritage. But I think in the case of Bosnia, this was actually quite unique because the destruction of cultural heritage was systematically mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, implemented essentially as soon as the war started. 
Uh, so it wasn't some sort of an accidental sequence of warfare, but it was systematically integrated into ethnic cleansing and indeed genocidal po policies. And in the case of Banja Luka, I think all but one mosque was uh, destroyed. They I think there was. Destroyed. They were all destroyed. And they were okay, destroyed, so. And they were blowing up them, uh, you know, because there were still some Muslims there. I mean, there were a few. But, uh, and, uh, you know, I talked to one. Uh, who, and he said, oh, and they were accusing on the radio, they were saying it's the Muslims <laughs> are blowing these up, and they were blowing up shrine, you know, in graveyard. They were, the graveyards, interestingly, mostly survived, which was slightly interesting and slightly strange, but uh, they were blowing up shrines of Manuluka, you know, the Turbay of some, mm -hmm. you know, Khalil Pasha. So, and, and, they, and this guy said, yeah, we, you know, we hear on the radio, it was all like the Muslims blown up their own, and was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Foundation stone was laid, there was a riot, and all these, because this is what embarrassed 
but there's a riot and the members of the international community were involved, so it was all terrible. And, and uh, so then they suddenly said, oh God, we're going to do something. But again, they sort of denied it, even though cultural heritage had been intentionally destroyed, even though it was part of the peace agreement to form this commission to preserve national monuments. I mean, that was a very, a very interesting part of the agreement, is to you know, part one of the annexes, there's only 11 annexes, and one of them has created a commission to preserve national monuments. All parties agreed to it. They all agreed before they even went to Dayton, including the, you know, the Serbs and the Croats, they all agreed to it. And, uh, and yet, when it came to implementing this cultural heritage, and, and I, I mean, I've read many books about implementing the Dayton Agreement, and there's all kinds of things about every other annex. And there's, I think, one mentions, you know, the cultural heritage bit of the one, yeah. <laughs> paragraph. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, going back to churches, actually, that was one of the issues I wanted to, to, to raise um, in relation to, to the churches. Of course, well, um, just going back to the point that I raised in relation to the systematic nature of, of destroying cultural heritage, and of course, Banja Luka is, is probably the best example because it, the, the, there were no military uh, actions in Banja Luka, yet all the, the, the mosques uh, were destroyed uh, by the locals. But uh, it's very interesting how... Um, you know, of course, um, it represents a certain perception or misperception of history because it was built on the assumption that all ethnic groups in Bosnia are affiliated with, with, with a certain religious uh, denomination, uh, which, is, which, is, uh, which is an assumption which is based on a complete misunderstanding of, of Yugoslav history, which was, of course, um, driving these populations in uh, towards the secularization. And what is really interesting is that this uh, kind of narrative, which was represented in the violent action of destroying uh, churches, as they were perceived as the, you know, the material heritage of a certain of a certain peoples, completely ignored, for example, the secular Bosniaks, uh, as if they didn't even exist in. Uh, in the country, because uh, they were not linked, they could not really be linked to the churches or uh, or mosques, which is a very uh, interesting, um, uh, uh, of course, absence in that historical narrative. And the other thing is how this self-destructive um, uh, this whole process was, because they did not just destroy the history of what they perceive as a different population, like the Bosniaks or, 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 or the Croats, but they also destroyed their own history. And I think the last example is that this is what you showed very nicely illustrates that they destroyed the pre-Ottoman uh, uh, heritage and the, and the historical uh, um, um, sources, documents, but also the, the, the objects from the past that talked about or that, or that could have talked about uh, the pre-Ottoman um, uh, legacy or, or, or heritage uh, of Mos Bosnia and, and the, the medieval uh, period in, in general. Um, and I just have a few questions, um, and I'm conscious of the time, that I would like to just uh, throw out there, just a few very short questions. Uh, one of them, uh, you, you mentioned briefly, uh, i I'll just say them all, and then I'll give you a chance to respond to all of them, uh, you, you, you briefly alluded to a church that was actually a, a mosque that was protected by local Serbs, so if you could say a few words about that, it would be very interesting to, to, to hear that story in some more detail, I'm sure others would be interested uh, as well. Uh, the other thing about the 2014 event, I, um, if you could say a few words about the actual narratives of, of destroying cultural heritage after the war. Uh, and what were the justifications or what kind of narratives were, were evoked by the people who ended up destroying uh, um, 
things and monuments and, 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 and archives and libraries after, after the war. That would be very interesting to, uh, to know a bit more about. Um, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> just so we can let everybody else have a chance to. Uh, yeah, I, and I would just be interested in the people who were who ended up saving, um, you know, the remnants of the past, and and who were involved in in rebuilding churches, saving documents. I mean, you, you mentioned a few cases, but it's a very join me uh, in thanking our speaker for really an absolutely fabulous lecture. Thank you. Thank you.